Hello and welcome to Paper Tuesdays with Michael Dwyer and Mark Halpin. Uh, Michael, would you like to introduce our guest today? Oh, Mark, this is one I'm very excited about. This is the host <laughs> of Journeying and um, uh, lecturer in the Technological University of Dublin. It's Dr. D. Duffy. Dr. D, and we'll call you D from now. Uh, that, <laughs> I, that summary on your introduction does not do you justice. You are an incredible woman and we are going to uh, go explore many, many parts of life with you, I'm sure. Uh, we were just talking before we came on air about <laughs> jiu-jitsu. Um, and Mark was sharing about his um, how you got into jiu-jitsu. Mm. Um, so it was back in Australia, wasn't it? Mark? Back in Australia. So I'm still a no-stripe white belt, but I've been doing it for over a year, probably a year and six months now, because uh, basically I'm shit in the first place anyway. So, <laughs> but other than that, I've been to three different schools. So I started in Melbourne, and then I went and done my farm work. I actually was lucky enough to do my farm work in an area that had a jiu-jitsu school as well. So that's what I do in my evenings. I'd spend my evenings there when I wasn't farming and then I came home and then trained in another place here in Gory for six months since then but obviously that's been broken up yeah on and off and then I haven't done anything now in god knows how long when was the last time probably sure. January, January before yeah. that like so yeah I think I'm going to be forever and I'll strive by belt so. <laughs> you started back uh, in no. 2016 D, is that right yeah when I started yeah yeah so yeah uh 2015 2015 I think it was yeah so I, my daughter was eight months old at the time and um, my other half kept at me. He was like, you, you love it. You love it. At the time he was doing, um, you know, Wimps to Warrior, John Cavanagh's yeah. SPG Wimps to Warrior. So Patrick was doing that for the first, like it was the first iteration of it. So the six month train and, and he was just like convinced I would love it. And I personally couldn't see what the attraction was at first because I went along. I remember going along and I was like, god this is so weird and mm. um, i went along to a competition and it was just a load of lads like testosterone filled as far as i could see um just giving each other big bear hugs and rolling around in each other's crotches and i was like <laughs> okay this is very strange um but it, I'll, I'll trust your judgment on it that i will love it <laughs> not sure where he was going with that but um yeah so i started in 2015 and it was so, it was really hard because I don't have that story of, oh yeah, I used to do judo or I did a little bit of kickboxing or I did. Putting on a kimono or a gi, as we know, and belt was the most alien thing to me and jumping on mats and all the etiquette and people all talking about like UFC and who, who they like. And I was like, yeah, no, I really am just here because it's supposed to be like good. Like my husband says, I will like it. And I did like it. And what I liked about it was, I suppose, and particularly when you're, you know, a parent with young kids, your life becomes very, you have to be really rigid with your time. And like to, to go out, I would like, my exercise was going to the gym, like, but doing, you know, intense classes, 45 minutes, get in, get out, don't talk to anybody um, and get back home again. Not because I'm antisocial, but maybe I am a little bit, but, but because I had like, you know, so many other things I had to do. So this was a new concept of actually training, getting exercise, but in a sociable dynamic and learning. And that really tapped into me like it's something like it's one of definitely my values in life of continued learning. Mm. So to be able to just do that to have all of that still get fit like but still learn something and you have that progression structure i'm sorry it's not working out for you so far. <laughs> getting, getting, getting the stripe is definitely a motivator to like move on you know you feel yeah. deadly when you get a stripe you feel recognized you feel mm. a sense of 
momentum. I suppose you get that maybe if you can, I don't know, lift 20 weights or whatever, you know, heavier weights, mm. you get a sense of it. But this is more, I think there's something deeper about that when somebody else gives you the recognition, someone you admire, someone yeah. you look up to, your black belt coach, like the, when they hand you it and they say you're, you're good enough, it's kind of nice to, to get that affirmation. So yeah, that was five, yeah, I'll be five years training probably in April now. Yeah, got my purple belt last summer, which was, um, yeah, it was a real landmark, you yeah. know, because when we start our gym, when we opened, it was brand new. So the two lads, Chris Fields and Tom King, they set up their own gym in Swords in 2015. So we were all pretty much white belts. So if anybody came through, the, like obviously they're not, but like all of us training were white belts starting out. So if a blue belt or a purple belt, they were like our little unicorn, you know, that we'd all look to and aspire to that belt. So now it's, we've, it's like we've kind of grown up together in the last five years. And there's like um, a few of us, like say, for example, I got my blue belt on the same day as three other lads. Like, and it was a real landmark occasion. Actually, Ian Gary was one of them, the Ian and... Alan and Donald, the four of us got our blue belts. And then you're just on this little journey together with all these other really cool people, you know, a few oddballs, like, you know, but we love them too. <laughs> um, and yeah, you get to know people in, at a different level because you have to trust them. You know, how, you, often you we, trust... how often mm-hmm. per week were you training before lockdown? Um, I, okay, so pretty much my timetable would be you'd aim for Monday nights and Friday nights and Friday night was date night. So myself and my partner, that was our date night. We'd go training together. Uh, Wednesday, Wednesday, you know, Wednesday evenings was ladies, ladies class. And then we'd stay on for the mixed class and then Saturday morning. So, so that'd be like a good week for me, like to get that. And to do that with, you know, a young family is tough. It is a big commitment Mm. and just goes to show that like you, you know, I, I I probably had to change things. Like I wouldn't have as many late nights, let's say, because, okay. you know, if you're Friday night, you're training and you're a Saturday morning training again. So keep you on the straight and narrow. Um, and kids will do that too. Um, <laughs> but that was the kind of, you just, not that you, it's not an obsessive thing. It's like, um, you want to learn. Like if you don't mm. go that day, you'll miss out on whatever skill set they're, the coaching or training or just getting the practice in and then probably I decided so I was blue belt blue belt four stripe the end of 2019 I think it was like around November and I kind of the the big the landmark as you may know is the euros for in January each year so that's kind of what everyone talks about all year and I was like oh you know if I don't do it now, if I don't train for this now, I, please God, get the, pur- you know, I was ho- hoping to train for, to get purple belt, like in 2020. And like, so it was kind of my last chance to go and compete at blue belt. Um, so the trainer had to change then. I had to increase. Um, you're trying to get as much training. It, it just, in much more intense training. I think that's why I hate competitions. I, mm. oh my God, it's such a, you learn so much about yourself and it's not, it's not always pretty like, you know, because you're just realizing like traits that you don't want to admit. Like I, I don't want to lose. Like I'd rather nearly not put myself on the line because losing is so hard, like to, to have to do that. We have to get over the ego and just go, okay, well just do your best and train. So I, 
January 2020 was the Euros and I booked my flights on the quiet. So I was like, I'm not going to make a big deal about this. You know, though I'm not one to go shouting about like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm kind of more about, I'll go do it. And then, you know, you know, see how it goes. But I was like, okay. So I, I think I, I told my coach then a couple of weeks later, I was like, yeah, I have, I have flights, but you're, you know, we'll see, we'll see how the training goes over Christmas. Because <laughs> Christmas is a hard time to go into, to go like, like I'd be rolling, New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, any, any time I could get, like I'd be training. And another thing about what I love about jiu-jitsu is the, it has its, its trans, trans, like boundaries of, of who the people, everyone's just a training partner. Mm. So my training partner, it doesn't matter who they were, where they came from, who, you know, in life, what they're doing. So one of my, like, keep a training partners, she was 17 doing her leaving cert yes and the two of us would like go and intensely try to just do more strategic competition competition rounds of understanding the point system and like and that's so cool like that that it didn't matter I was you know whatever age I am and you know a mommy and she's like uh doing her leaving cert and all the stresses so we have two different lives but on the mats we're just like focused on one thing together and it's a lovely I think it's brilliant for that idea of um, what's missing, I suppose, today in life of tribalism or that sense of community and bringing people together um, on a, you know, it's just lovely. It's, it's real. It builds up a lovely sense of community. Um, so, yeah, so that was, that's how I train for that. And that's, I was focused on the, the competition, but I was still kind of in denial, I think, right up to, Going to go to the Euros. I can remember the day before or two days before I remembered I'd, or I realized I'd screwed up on my, my hotel booking. I'd booked for the week, the next week. And it's in Lisbon. It's the busiest week in Lisbon. So I was like, that's it. That's a sign. That's a sign. I'm not supposed to go. I, like, I can't keep throwing more money at this, like to book another hotel for another three nights. I was like, and, you know, on another level, it was me looking for a way out. She was looking for an excuse not to go. Because even though I'd done all the training, you still don't feel, well, for me, I never feel ready enough, you know. And like, right. and because I couldn't train as much as I would like to train. How could I? Like, I've, I've so, so many, I have a full-time job. I've got a family. I've got, you know, there's so many things going on. I'm not a professional athlete. And yeah. there I was trying to convince myself I was for about eight yeah. weeks. I'd say so, the person who, who you beat 7 nil in the semi-final, I'd say they'd love to hear, oh yeah, she didn't want to be there at all. You know, I'd say they just, oh, they're loving this now as they're tuning into Pepper Tuesday. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you want to be there, but it's terrifying. Right. It is. It is. It's, I mean, it, it's so intimidating. It's not like something I grew up with. You know, maybe some people who've maybe grown up around this environment, love competitions, love like grown up. I, I didn't experience that growing up. Like I, I played basketball, but it was a team sport. This is like, this is me. I'm either going to perform or something could go terribly wrong. I'll be, you know, really embarrassed. But the thing is, you, when you do mess up, like, you know, of course I've lost lots of matches and you learn so much more and it's trying to remind yourself you learn more from losing than you do from winning. Mm. Yeah. You get a high from winning and you feel deadly, but you learn more intensely from the losing because you go and you'll dissect that what went wrong and not went wrong, but what did they know that I didn't know? How did I get in 
to that position, if I get in that position again, what can I learn to get out of it? And yeah, so like it's a hard pill to swallow when, when you lose, but it's, you know, when you step back from it and the ego steps away, then you can just learn, move on. Okay. So that's how you accept the silver medal. Like it's a great high point, but like it, knowing that you're runner up, that's you, you, you're, you're the one that has oh, no, learned the most for, from that today. For, for the Euros now, I don't like, that was a pure win for me. It didn't matter what color to be standing right. on the podium was a win for me. Yeah. Um, but like I, how many matches? One, two, uh, three matches. And like, so everything was going really well for me, except for my knee went. So I knew going into my, my final match that I shouldn't, probably be going stepping on the mat my, my knee was gone um so it's so weird like you know it's only a couple of minutes but it, you're thinking so intensely and your mind's racing up okay, what's the right thing to do and you know even even as it was starting I was still there was like one voice going just stop and I was like how can I say no to a chance to win so I had to try and I actually took her down like which was great I I, I got her down but I wasn't able to scramble fast enough because my knee couldn't move like so I could see it even in the playback so um I I fair play I gave myself a chance I I tried I seen my knee couldn't actually follow through and it was fine that was that was grand she, I think she got an arm bar or something in the end and I'm okay with that I was delighted with how, how it all went yeah I love the dynamic there that you describe, you know, because you've, you've written as well about how, you know, this big intimidating um, arena and you're, you're going down on the mats and but yet you have that moment of where you have to make a, a decision totally by yourself in the moment where uh, even saying no, I'm going to give it a go now in this final. Th those moments like are they're like they remind me of sporting autobiographies where you know the, the person is just whacked the head off someone and now they have to deal with the referee or something because no one else knows what's actually going on there but i know it's totally different but like it's you know it's that idea the gladiator the ring or something does that strike a chord with you or yeah yeah i mean like it and it, it's probably as many intense moments in your life it's down to you to decide or you you have to think I don't know why, for some reason, labor is coming into mind as well. Of, you know, it's, it's you and the pain. Like, it's, you have to decide, like, how to cope with this or how to, to move on. So, yeah, and I think in, in, I think a lot of people would say in very intense moments, your brain just kicks into, you know, you, you're, the intensity of the moment heightens your brain, your sensitivities, your, your thinking process is just in a higher drive. Uh, in those critical moments yeah which is it, which is so interesting like the, like sport is just uh, I have to say like it, that eight nine week period of going through that like of training for for a competition and and writing down what you're experiencing I learned so much more about myself than you know years of just existing you know I think sport is so important for for people to challenge themselves whether it's sport but sport just seems to bring on that extra kind of intensity and challenge and almost that tribal particularly in the likes of a jiu-jitsu match where it's an opponent like and it is physical um it's just really interesting I think you just get to deeper levels of understanding of yourself Ooh, yeah 
Do you um, wrote, you've written many articles, obviously, given that your background in academia, but you mentioned earlier about tribalism. And I can't help when you when you mentioned about that, I couldn't help but be reminded of your final line that just, oh, it, it was it left me thinking anyway after it, uh, you know, as a country, how we've consumed our way to liberty. And now can we discuss and think about who we are now? And this angle linked to meaning and folk calls, I'm probably not pronouncing his name right, uh, power in society and the, how you, you look at sport and I suppose with specifically here at the GAA as a positive structure where there's discipline involved. Um, just to have that distillation of, um, of what, sport can mean in the 21st century and but I suppose more than that um people playing sport you know a participation that, that that's a real um I, I'm, I'm lost for words even because you, you've encapsulated something that um I, I just even to think about the two parts there to consume our way to liberty and now to see where we go from here um what 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 lies behind that or <laughs> um, I need to go back and read my article. Um, no, no. <laughs> um, I, I do. I'm sorry. I'm probably putting you on the spot here, but like, as a society, you you mentioned how we have trans. You know, we got our independence. We've um, thrown off the shackles of you know limited thinking or uh, limited uh, mindsets through maybe uh, religion or you know, mm. in the shackles of the past, we've overcome them now, but now it's a time for us as a country to see, well, actually, who are we? Are we just going to be people that consume what comes from America? Are we just going to, you know, what does it mean now to be in a nation? What does it mean to be part of the GAA? It's no longer a parish body that's an extension of, oh, I'm talking on the whim here, but like, it's no longer just a simple extension of a parish, but now the GA is still relevant and it's still a societal force, but what is behind that society? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, we've made decisions of, well, recently of, we were rejecting the power structures that were in place because they abused the power that they had. So like when Dev was designing our country in 1921 of who we are or deciding what we are and putting in place that it's, well, we, we are a religious Catholic society, um, uh, kind of a, a law abiding or um, a patriarchal society. And we've seen that how that played out and didn't work out very well. And that's like, and it's great that we are resisting and we are making changes because who wants to be under the thumb of a patriarchal society or a dominant power, be it the religion? Because I think, you know, yeah, we're all pointing the fingers maybe at the church, but like it is a structure and it's a power structure. And I think, yeah. you know, whatever we bring in next or wherever we turn to, um, I think what the problem or what the issue is, is power. What are we going to do with that power? So whoever you're going to put your, you know, is consumption and consumerism the next God or is it God at, at the moment? Is it the most relevant thing in people's lives right now? And uh, is, is that a good thing? Has that been a good thing for society? Yes, it's great that we have freedom to consume and, you know, hopefully uh, some, you know, disposable income to consume. But what do you want from it? Like, what, what is it getting you? What, what is it giving you? And I do think at the moment, um, consumption probably is a lot of particularly younger people's God. Yeah. It's like, if you think about how young people organize their time and even their leisure time, it's a lot of it around going to 
going to the shopping malls, going to consume something, whether it's entertainment or, you know, to be um, amused or even we consume social media. And so social media and technology is now our, possibly our current gods. And is that who we want to put our faith in? And look where that's getting us. So, mm. You know, so I don't think, you know, when power, whatever structures come into play, they don't mean to abuse power. But I think what we all need is self-awareness and awareness of what power is and how power plays out. And how if you give too much power to one entity, then it most, if it's human nature, I don't know what technology, but human nature is to take power and use it for your own means mm. most often. But if, we, if we're not aware, if, I think it comes back a lot to, and I'm very interested in, in building emotional intelligence and self-awareness. And if we can build our awareness that, so if, 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 if my phone, like, okay, so, so this phone, I can have, you know, I can sit all day on this if I want to be entertained by it, but is it right? Is it allowing my brain to function in a healthy way in society? Am I actually existing in a meaningful way in society? Um, and I need to check that. I, I, you know, I think with the Social Dilemma movie at the moment and Tristan Harris and raising awareness saying, hello, I've been there. We are designing this to distract you from your life. We are trying to get your attention because it makes us a lot of money to get your attention. So, okay, I need to know that information and go, that's nice. Technology is brilliant. It's, it's served us so well, particularly in the pandemic, but I need to be aware that that can't be my God. I need to have other meanings in life um, and be that nature, be that your family, be that interactions with other physical people, because that's a very different relationship than, oh, um, but I'm sure I was on WhatsApp to my mates all day, but like the, the connection's the same. And we're seeing that with the pandemic that even though like, and I, particularly in the, in the university kind of dynamic where students like <laughs> are surprising themselves, like on, oh, we just want to be back in college. It's because they want the human interconnection. Not that they necessarily want to listen to us talking. And that's, you know, we can get them information through technology now. And I think that's going to be revolutionary. But I think what we need to see is it's, it's the human interaction, connection, teamwork, group work. That is what humans need, thrive on, what we can build new knowledge and information and ideas and creativity through that coming together. Not to live a distracted surface level life on whatever Google decides to send us and whatever other algorithm decides to send us into our lives. Yeah, yeah. The belief in consumerism is hollow as well, isn't it? Like it's not like whatever as bad as the church or however abused that was it's not the same you're believing in something sort of higher rather than something you can attain you know i, I can't buy god like but it's something mm. more than me that i believe in you know it's not something that i can take totally totally it, and and whatever your god is it's 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 it, it, I, I i'd see it as air nature it's 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 mm. something higher than me i did not make me I, there's so much I have no power over in this world and I have to accept and give myself up to that higher power. Yeah. Um, totally like, and uh, with consumerism, can I have, can I take, can I own, you know, this kind of wanting to acquire, which will never fulfill us. And yet oh. you, we keep dipping back into going, if I could just have this, if I could just have that, it might make my life better. It never makes life nature, better. Nature is exactly what brings that as well. Like it's, I done it today. I went down to the beach and I left my phone in the car and I spent 45 minutes looking out at the sea and the seagulls and I didn't get bored. It's so strange. And you think you would like, I was just sitting there by myself looking at the same thing for 45 minutes and I didn't get bored. 
it was so strange but like I think young people don't get that like I know we're young or whatever but like mm. teenagers who are constantly plugged in and who have been plugged in since they were 12 years old or whatever don't get that and they don't go out and try it because why would I do that that's stupid or that's boring or that's wasting my time I could be doing this or I could be making a Facebook page to build a business or whatever way you want to phrase it to yourself but mm. if you can just actually just step back every once in a while and go back to what is simple and then you'll see what's important from there I found Absolutely. And if anything, the gift from this current situation is the time to go and sit still. We have a bit more time. It's again, we need to remind ourselves that we do have choice of how we spend this time. You know, it's it's so hard looking into maybe another nine weeks of lockdown. Of course, our mind can go one way, but what we can control is go, okay, what can I do with this time that I have? And say for me, like what's been an absolute like um, total silver lining in what's been happening is the idea when you mentioned the sea is that connection with nature. Um, I, I didn't even know there was a whole community of people going sea swimming in my community because when they were sea swimming, I was on a train at the same time, you know, uh, squashed up with other commuters on the way into the city center, like a hamster on a wheel of this kind of routine of, fire the kids one place, get, you know, find somebody to mind them, you know, obviously at childcare in place, but do you, you know what I mean? You're racing to catch the train, you're racing to get to, to work, you're in there intensely, you come back again. It's just, and, and I had, I was at a point even before the, the you know, global pandemic, I, I was very shocked about this was life. This was actually how we were choosing, but I didn't feel like I was choosing this life, but I was on this hamster wheel of, you know, there is no proper childcare in place. There is no structures in place to, to think about, well, do we need to live this life? Do we need to work Monday to Friday, nine to five? And nine to five is a joke. Most people know that nine to five to, to do nine to five is pretty much seven to six, like really, because you're trying to maybe commute and um, very few people actually finish at five. Now that's the traditional work. I know everybody has uh, like different iterations of that, but with your traditional structure of two parents trying to keep a roof over a house, um, that's what you have to do. Like, because childcare for each child is the cost of a mortgage on top of a mortgage. So it just was like, this isn't like, okay, so, we're encouraged to have a family, but yet not rare them because I have to keep a roof over their head or I'll be judged. So how will I put a roof over their head, you know, without going out to work? And then, and then there, we've all these societal issues with children, like not having the support systems they need because their family's off earning money to keep them in childcare. It's, it was just this vicious circle and cycle. It was just bizarre anyway. Um, and so I, I really hope that this again has, will help us to reset in, in a positive way. But like that, it's given me that time in the morning that, so we've got communities here, like in where I live locally and a couple of other friends and, and that I can go and do something for myself at seven o'clock in the morning and still come back and start kick off the day. And that, oh my God, the power, as you said, of just the ocean. I know, I know not everyone has the, the luxury of living by the ocean, but if you do, like I always felt like I've, I've always lived on the coast and I, I, I get a bit claustrophobic if I'm in the Midlands, you know, because I need the sea close by to me. And there's so much I don't know it's healing properties I mean there is lots of evidence to say there's healing properties in the water but it's also just 
having a laugh like you know you with a couple of people because if it wasn't a group of people and that's another thing I've I've had I've made lovely connections with really interesting sound people over the last year and if uh, like you know if it was just me like accountability of going down to the sea every day I wouldn't probably go because the motivation would probably wear off but the fact that okay I'm accountable I said to someone I'm going and then the fact that I know we're going to have a bit of a laugh afterwards like or in the sea it's just going you know laughing at the bizarreness of it all like the sun's not even up and here we are in the freezing cold the snow on the ground like it's just funny like you know but it's brilliant and it's amazing and you feel good for challenging yourself so when you're in the water, um, out of interest though, tell us how long do you spend in the water? Um, how do you feel in the water? Because Mark, when you're in the water, you don't really, uh, you, you have a fear of the things that might be underfoot, don't you? Oh, I'm a weird phobia. <laughs> uh, seals actually is my big phobia for some reason. I just, I hate the thought of a seal being nearby. It's happened a few times where they're nearby and I know they're not dangerous. It's just, I don't, I don't want it near me or I don't want it to touch me. It's strange. I can totally relate. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Oh, yeah, no, the idea, and it's so funny, isn't it? It's like, you know, what, there's sea creatures in the sea? Like, you know, how very dare they interrupt my morning swim? Um, but, yeah, no, it, how, okay, so how long do I spend in there? So we started swimming last July, June. I think June was the first time we went in. One of the girls just said it for, like, you know, do you want to go down? I was like, yeah, if I could, I'll give it a go, like, and... We kind of, I think at the start, we laugh now thinking, oh my God, what, we thought we were deadly going in when the sun was shining. Um, and we wondered, would we keep it up? I remember they were all like, talking, okay, we, we keep going in September. And I'm like, <clears throat> yeah, we'll see. Because I was also thinking about kids back to school in my life. They didn't have kids. And I was like, God, like, will I be able to do that? Um, but we have stayed, um, we would stay in probably like in the summertime, 20 minutes, half, you know, there was, there was one day we'd spent about nearly half an hour because it was just great fun, the waves were brilliant. And we came out and we were like, okay, does anyone else feel a bit weird? Like we were feeling like dizzy and this kind of, it was, it was not a good, wasn't good. So we were like, okay, this was funny, but it was like, <laughs> <okay>. our body is <laughs> telling us <laughs> that it's shutting down here a little bit. So from there on in, we kind of keep an eye on the watch. So now obviously like that was summertime during the winter time, you have to be so careful. So again, like, and we have to remind ourselves, I suppose I, I swim with two other jujitsu, you know, players, jujitsu, um, people were prone to being kind of, oh yeah, you know, tough and thinking that we can do this, but we're like, no, actually our body will shut down and there just won't be any crack like if we have to be rescued out in the water. So we, I think it, there's something about whatever the temperature, water temperature is. So say if the water temperature is five degrees, you shouldn't stay in longer than five minutes. Oh. So a minute for every degree, something like that. Yeah. Right. I think that that's not, it's something along those lines. Yeah. So we try to um, stick by the rules. Yeah. <laughs> um you uh, since we're on kind of the subject of lockdown um you in one of your solo pods on journey in which we might as well plug as we're halfway through here um you mentioned yeah, the dynamic of the subvariant sub excuse me the subvariant um maybe i'm not still pronouncing that right the female voice of alexa and i was blown away i never even thought of it you know and you <laughs> you went to research you tried to see you know is there any other way to put a male voice on it and it seems like it's only coming with updates um mm. that that's fascinating yeah Mm, it wasn't designed. It wasn't designed. And, and that's, that points to a, a, a huge problem um, that I suppose that we're recognizing more and more um, of not having diversity at the table, whatever that diversity might look like, whether it's gender or whether it's culture. Um, the fact that somebody, 
I would imagine a few people sat at the table and went through iterations of that product design and yeah. never thought about the fact that why is it just a female voice that we have designed this for? Why would we not give options? People like options. Wouldn't it be interesting to have different voices, different tones of voices, uh, different genders? Wow, you know, it's only one other like sex. There's only two. Like, so, you know, how hard would it be? I know it might have been time consuming. I did read that they said it takes a long time to get her to train. They could do a bit longer because I tell you what, she still isn't listening to me. Um, it's bizarre, bizarre, like, and I, like, I, I just, I, I didn't know Alexa was coming into my home. Alexa just arrived in my home. I was promised this would revolutionize our lives. And I'm like, I, I don't, I, like, so uh, one of the things uh, my other half did was he did the, you can connect Alexa up to the lights. So went and bought all the light, light bulbs that connects. I was like, for real, like, we, you pass the light bulb going in and out of the kitchen. Uh, this isn't helping. My, there's so many other things that could help my life or, you know, make it easier. But having somebody who 50, 50, 50 will turn it off or on for me. Like sometimes she listened to me, sometimes she wouldn't. I said, I passed the bloody light switch to go out the door. So this was the most bizarre. It's a total like, you know, gadget. I can see I'm having, she uh, plays music for me sometimes. Sometimes she will. So I, I don't know. I just, I don't get it. But it was, it, it was, it, it was irrational. Like it felt like, it felt like, so the two kids and Patrick were like delighted and having great fun shouting at this. And I was like, I felt like I'm the outside of my family. I was like, why are they all interested in this thing? And, and but then I realized that what it was, them shouting at her and demanding her to do things. I was like, no, that's, that's not washing with me. I don't like this tone. I wouldn't have them shout at a uh, uh, another human being and I know she's technology but in you know I think there's a danger in that idea of letting young kids minds even absorb that idea of shouting commands at somebody and not putting in manners so that's our new rule they have to use manners when they yeah. ask her to do things so they have to say Alexa please turn on the light or Alexa yeah. please yeah but yeah so how long she survived she's here about two weeks Right. And I, oh, when the novelty fresh. wears off, <laughs> I might just tuck her away somewhere and uh, we might learn to turn this light switch on and off ourselves. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a gas story, though, to think of um, how, I, well, I do like how, um, you know, but the persona of, you know, checking the weather with the, so, you know, that, that had a dynamic, like that this was an extra someone standing up in your child's corner. And then the other thing of, yeah. uh, you know, the thing of the light, um, that the light was now a thing, you know, like <laughs> it was. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, causing problems, causing yeah. problems. Like, you know, <laughs> bursting out crying, going, I don't have a red light in my kitchen anymore. It's like 24 hours ago, we never even imagined having a red light in the kitchen. And now it's a problem at the table. Oh my God, it's like a brothel place was with the red light going on. It's just, uh, but it was amazing. It's so interesting. Kids are just sponges. It was amazing how quickly the kids adapted to this source of information. Like I still, maybe it's because I'm resistant, but they will still go like out and check what's the weather going to be like. So my, my girl, last week, she got it on her, into her head. She was uh, going organizing a Valentine's party. She's five. She's having parties at the moment, but I let her go through the whole process because it entertained her of writing invitations and planning out this. And, you know, I was finally breaking it to her that like, it's going to be lashing rain and um, we can't really all come together. And because it started getting closer to the time, I was like, what do you envision this party looking like? Because she was going all out with the party. And um, again, running straight into the kitchen, you know, 
Alexa, will it be raining tomorrow? And coming back to me with the fingers up, thumbs up. Like, oh no, she's thumbs down. But she goes, oh, hang on, I'll go and ask her what will it be like in the afternoon? You know, so maybe, <laughs> God, you know, um, is it? Uh, and of course then there's, my, my kids are still young, but I would imagine if you had kids like coming up in 11, 12, the information that Alexa could give a child, it's the same way with the internet. It's like, do you want? kids to have access to that information do you know like little questions that we can get answered like mm. at the top like you know when kids start asking difficult questions or you know deep questions or questions about life it's like you want to be able to be in that conversation not that they're mm. off having a conversation with alexa or online yeah do you know what i mean because how, yeah. how a 12 year old might process you know, what is life yeah. or, you know, death or all big questions. It's like, yeah. you don't want to learn it off Reddit. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Makes me yeah, wonder though. Like, crazy yeah. person, like, with their random comments about what's the meaning of life. It's like, you know, you who's educating your children? You should live off a diet of sand. Live off a diet of sand. A diet of sand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, you don't know and where is the source of information. And that's like another huge issue of media literacy and people training themselves, young people and all of us having to understand that where is the source of the information coming mm. from? Yeah. And like, which is getting even more difficult to get credible, authentic information if you can't even trust like the likes of the president of the United States and what the information they're sharing with you. If that's not true, like you have to be so much more discerning about where you get your information from and who you can trust with information. Is it credible? <laughs> this is a nice little uh, segue into marketing and your history of working in marketing. <laughs> Here. Buy it, um, buy it. <laughs> I have to say though, uh, given your expertise in marketing, uh, I actually stumbled across you through an Instagram ad. So that's proof that, you know, you work well really? with, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was dabbling, dabbling. <laughs> but, uh, with the whole marketing, like, um, I know it's your work history, but like what, um, where do you think, uh, there's obviously an importance even to uh, market ethically, Oh, excuse me. Ethic ethically. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but like, you, like I just see something in how. Oh, sorry. Now, I have mm -hmm. it here somewhere. Like you, Matt. Yeah, your approach, your journey as a whole, even um, that you found this approach to meaning after first looking at marketing. So, what have you learned from like? your work experience in marketing, then um, studying sociology and in turn philo philosophy maybe, and that now um, lecturing business but and fashion, but uh, do you still lecture in marketing? Like, is it still at the forefront of your mind? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's marketing is, and when you think about it this way, it's about, well, if you want to add, like have you something that'll add value to somebody else's life? If you have something that'll add value, a service or product that'll add value to someone's life, I think you can get behind that. Um, obviously, there's a lot of products out there that are superfluous, nobody needs them. And I think that comes down to educating the consumer about how much do you need? Like, you know, so there can be a plethora of choice, choice is good and, you know, having options, but it's about then the consumer needing to be also educated in terms of going, do I need? 
another pair just because somebody shouts at me that these are really nice shoes do i have 50 other pairs of shoes can I walk to A from B? I'm, I'm very practical actually about, like it's funny, I, I lecture in the fashion arena as well, but like even, um, you, you can still have an industry, but it doesn't have to be corrupt. It doesn't have to be that it's forcing things on you that, that you didn't need in the first place. Like you're not really going to buy anything that you totally didn't need. Or, you know, the must have, you need to touch into, I suppose, some on some level that it add value to your life. Like. Do we need Alexa? No. Um, but obviously he, like somebody thought that that would add value to people's lives and it possibly does. Like say for if you were disabled, Alexa is probably a very useful mm. uh, tool in the house because it, it'll make your life a bit easier. So I, I do believe and I'm very interested in like entrepreneurship and business and like new design and innovation and products and services what I have an issue with is overconsumption. Um, uh, overconsumption because of the, what it causes to the environment, but also the realization that, you know, sh going shopping, what does that mean? Like going, buying things, what are you looking for? You know, and sometimes it's nice, yeah, it's beautiful to walk around beautiful spaces and admire like maybe displays and the atmosphere and, you know, the stores, but, it's problematic if that's what your idea of a hobby is. Mm. Like I have asked students, you know, because we do a lot of kind of maybe when first years are starting and you ask them to do those inductions and to get to know each other. And the amount of, like I'd say, oh, what do you like to do? And some people were, you know, can be stopped in their tracks going, I don't know. Like one person said she liked to watch her boyfriend play football. I was like, no, <laughs> no, uh, that is not you. That is not your hobby. That is like, but anyway, um, but it's a lot of them would say, I like to go shopping. And you're just like, okay, unpack that. What, what is that? What, why are you searching for? But so, but really it's, it's probably community, camaraderie, friendship, uh, cup of coffee, looking for atmosphere, looking to feel part of something. Do, you know, do, do I need to go and do a haul in a fast fashion? retail outlet no I don't need to um and so I do feel and there's you know hopefully going to be a seismic shift and change probably pushed with a little bit of policy as well to to get more clever by design I I have a huge issue with um things being designed with without the end in mind and there's I don't know if you're familiar with the circular economy but there's a lot of a shift towards like products needing to think about their end use. So brands like Patagonia is a fantastic example of a brand that will, they design, they design it well, they want the product to last. They, you will pay more for it at the offset, but you will be wearing it in five to 10, 15, 20 years time. If you're not, they can repair it for you if the zip's broken, they will uh, mend it. They give opportunities for you to give that, like, so say for example, be like, okay, I, I'm gonna let this go, go now, you know? So it's had all its iterations. They, you can bring it and they will resell it in the same space. So they're really being pushing the boundaries of what retail looks like for the future. And I think a lot, a lot of, even the likes of Selfridges in the UK, which is a luxury and brand are starting to dabble in the resale market and allowing resale to come into the traditional store space. Um, and that's very important for our psyche because there's a lot of people who would say, oh, I wouldn't wear secondhand clothes. Um, but where's it going to go? Like where there is nowhere else for our crap to go that doesn't like that's poorly made. Like, so 
it shouldn't be allowed that a, a piece of clothing is designed where it falls apart after three or four washes or that it's impractical in the first place and not really fit for purpose. That should not be allowed. Um, and I think there's, <laughs> you're smiling there. I'm like, are, I'm are, because thinking? I'm thinking about our merch and I'm thinking, okay, we better make sure that this does not uh... <laughs> <laughs> unravel in the first wash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's just about that awareness. Oh, actually, I've yeah. seen your hat. Yeah, it's very nice. Totally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a nice little dabble into it. But like that, you know, that's nice. To, it, it's good, but it would be, yeah, probably would be a nice thing to look at. How, how is this made? And maybe next time we'll have a look more at the supply chain of how this was made. Because while it would add value to our crew, our patrons, or whoever enjoys like, you know, the brand Paper Tuesdays and enjoys it, and that would give value to their lives, but it would even be better if it was sustainable as well and ethically yeah. made, you know. Uh, to be honest, I left the fashion bit of, I just kind of left it outside there, a typical man thing. But then I, I was looking this morning and I, I, I read uh, one or two of your articles and on the fashion and um, on the fashion, you can tell how up I am with me, <laughs> Louis Vuittons. But actually, my girlfriend is very into it anyway. But like, I was going to say, like, sustainability, does that mean fashion is going to have to pivot a little? But then I realised after reading on your article, no, this is, this is more serious. This has to be the revolution, as you mentioned. And I suppose, whatever, look, waste, I understand. I understand where you're coming like, as in, that's very valid. But I think the bigger issue there was, and I never really thought of it, and I suppose it has been flouted a good bit, the, the idea that slavery could lie behind some of the pro products. Could. It does. It does. It does. Modern day slavery is still alive and well. Um, and the problem is it's out of sight and out of mind because it's them over there. Yeah. We can't see it. But you cannot, you cannot buy a garment. You, like for five euro and think that this, that nobody has been mistreated in the production of this garment. And just because they're over there and oh, they can live on less than a yeah. euro a day. They can't really, not to the standards that you're living at. Um, so do you need that t-shirt or or consumers, will you will you vote with your pocket and say, sorry, I'm going to put that t-shirt back that's going to unravel and not really stand the test of time anyway. And I'm going to maybe look for and seek out brands that ha care about their supply chain and want to ensure that, because, and I do think it's so important that the uh, Karl Marx talks about this, this, it's called commodity fascism. And he warned of the danger of separating production from consumption. Um, if we can't see how something's produced or where it was produced or who produced it, it's easier to not have, a, it's easier to kind of turn a blind eye to what's happening. Mm. But if you knew that your nephew down the road, who's 12, had to work for 12 hours to make that t-shirt, mm. and you knew that their family was on, you know, the brink of poverty, would you still need that t-shirt? Mm. Yeah. Because, it, and you they look like you. They have names like you. And so you, you respect what you know more and you think about it more. Whereas we can tell ourselves that, that it's fine because sure, we don't really know what's happening in those like Middle Eastern countries or Bangladesh or have we been there? Have you been to Bangladesh? Um, or, you know, all these production companies where we go to get cheap lab labor um, so that we can wear crap. That and I think when, when that, when the, you know, if I was standing in front of you and you said that, or I was standing in front of any consumer about to buy, there would be very few that would still go, oh, yeah, I will actually, yeah, I'm going to buy two of them. You know, <laughs> we're not like that. You know, we're not, we're not bad people, but it's easy to get caught up in the, well, 
I want to wear something new tonight because everybody's going to see me and, you know, I'm going to be on Instagram and I can't wear the same dress I had like last week. And then we realized, well, that's super, we're living on this surface level in life in, in Western society and it's all nonsense. It's like, um, you know, just strip it all back. It's like the Truman show. Have you seen the Truman show, Jim Carrey? And it's like this, this fake life. And it's almost like that's what we're living in this fake life that's really, what does it matter? What does it, who, who cares what I'm wearing right now? Do, like, okay, yeah, to an extent, but we can, we can find other ways of showing up on Instagram, like sharing clothes with friends, like swapping, um, like that resale, using uh, Depop and yeah. second-hand sales. There's other ways. So it's just about making those other ways more accessible and easier so that's not hassle because like we don't want hassle in our lives. So you might, like, yeah. And I know like to think, oh God, I'm going to have to like take photos of this and sell it and put it in the post and send it to someone else. And yeah. you know, it se might seem a lot of hassle to get involved in the resale market. But if we can make that process more seamless and easier mm -hmm. and more just the norm, which it has to be, if it, we have no choice. Like the, there is literally like the the whole industry is just in crisis and it's like we have it's like we're waiting for it to blow up in our face before we finally accept that there's a problem yeah i look i don't know but like say the example of when it comes to food you fair trade and they're side by side with other products like it, can that model be applied to fashion is maybe it already is like it, as you mentioned there about the resale like do we have to look at other ways yeah, no, absolutely. I was only chatting actually of a podcast coming out on Monday with <laughs> plug, uh, Katrina Flynn. So she's a colleague of mine. We have the great chat about this. Um, and certainly we can learn a lot from the slow food movement and mo move into a slow fashion movement. And there is movement moving towards it. But like that, the, you're, what you're talking about there, the slow food kind of movement whereby we buy locally and we know the produce and we know we got it from Farmer Mick down the, the road and you know that you're supporting their business. Um, like, so if we can bring production back closer to home in some ways, now the pr problematics with that because you obviously uh, you don't want to take the industry away from like Middle Eastern countries or Bangladesh, but they still want the they want the business, they want to do business with us, but they just want a more humane way of life um, and not putting these excessive demands on the, on the bottom line, basically. So Western, Western companies have the power to negotiate because they can do big, big uh, orders. So they can push down the price and sure then like somebody has to pay the price along the way. So it's usually the, um, subordinate or the weaker that get pressed out so that could be your child labor your females women primarily like that are getting abused in that in that process and system um that's uh, Dee what I like about your approach is that like when to be honest whenever I've thought about our engage with sociology it's it's gone so far with the whole power thing and society but you bring it a step further and you say no look you know um it's about bringing the good out of people as well. You know, it doesn't have to be all negative and bad and, you know, the power in society and the, the these hierarchical bodies and it's all pressing down. You know, the, the alternatives for everyday human life are very real and very uh, necessary as well. And, like, I think you have a, an acute awareness of that and that's so important. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean because we can talk about systems and get very upset about systems and structures, but it's too abstract. Like at the end of the day, we are the people in these structures. So there is hope if we can 
just build our own self-awareness and educate ourselves and learn about what's happening in the world and be present in the world maybe that we could maybe realize and then with power structures it's just going to shift again like you know until we are aware of it so say for example you know there's huge issues at the moment with um women in leadership in and not sitting having places at the table in terms of like say uh councillors um in your local councils and uh, tds like if you look at the representation of women versus men there's like 20 percent, i think women in council positions um okay so what what's the alternative to, like do we what we're trying to get to is a 50 50 which would be nice but i think we have to understand the why it's nice you know because it's not a them against us like it's not that women don't like men and men don't like women but it's about power it's about uh you know will i give up my power to give you a seat probably not but if it has to be 50 50 then then we might like sit together but then what i mean is will it flip the other side then what if will women want more power than men and maybe you know would women start playing out the same kind of power dynamic if we just so it can't be about we just want what you have we don't want to shift the table over and go okay we want to bully and be you know a matriarchal society which you know puts men down and doesn't give them equal opportunities what would that obtain for society as a whole it wouldn't solve anything either so i think just if we're aware of our own uh, the seduction of power and and how we might be playing out these power all of us like you and me in certain dynamics we have a we are in the more powerful position in our lives certain relationships certain dynamics and what do we do with that power do we abuse it maybe sometimes we do like you know so we're all at play of being guilty of maybe abusing power and again it's back to awareness of like okay why am i doing this what why am i abusing power and i think if we could get that level of just awareness <laughs> it yeah. might change us repeating patterns yeah you you're again your no-nonsense approach means that i well i think anyway that your no-nonsense approach means that you can listen to and admire d the likes of david goggins and jocko willink for sources of motivation like to be able to say mm. maybe now this is maybe this is wrong or whatever but like that as a woman like you could say oh no they're, what they're saying makes sense i can you know take what they're saying as a role model as such um and a source of motivation to go further what, what do you think is that like like we've we've discussed there about like genders and like is it to do with like why why does why does goggins and willink appeal to you or what 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 do you think can tally with you there um i i i admire it up to the point but i do like so f you know if you're familiar with them they're 4 a.m like let's do this kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. up before yeah. 4 30 a.m and yeah. like you know so i i admire it to a point and and then i put on another lens and go you're not talking to the female population or you're not talking to the female population who have children because you cannot choose to get up at 4 30 a.m and oh, also Lord. raise children because the kids are going to be up maybe a few times yeah. a night so they're they're talking to a particular cohort they're probably talking to you guys you know like they're probably yeah. talking but i i admire what they're doing i i love that kind of story it, it's funny like and people probably think i'm a, a contradiction because I really admire what Jordan Peterson says. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, and I like share, you know, Jordan Peterson, some of his clips and stuff with students, because I, I like what he's saying. I, I have an empathy towards 
how young men are existing in society and, and the struggles that they're facing. And then another person would say, oh my God, she's a roaring feminist. Like, you know, she, you know the assumption might be that she, she would despise Jordan Peterson. <laughs> but I, I don't. Like, I, I, can, I, I would like equality for everyone, you know? Yeah. I, I, and I have empathy. I have a young son. Why would I want a world that isn't going to be a sound world for him and him to be sound in that world? Yeah. Just as for my daughter, I don't want her to be, you know, not having opportunities at the table to, to step into leadership if she wants to. Mm, um, absolutely. So, so, you know, like I don't, I don't have to be on either camp. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's, it's dangerous to have yeah. either camp. Um, and I think once we can still kind of have conversations and see things from as much as I can from a male perspective, like I, I've never had that experience. So obviously I can't, you know, I don't know what it's like to be a young man in 2021, but I can listen and I can try to understand and uh, but yeah. as well as for a woman. And I think it, it, we all have that issue, but we all have a blind spot of what's it like to be somebody else in a different scenario. So it's just about just literally just trying to be sound, just trying to be yeah. <laughs> and keep ourselves aware. A lack of ideology throughout your conversation. Well, yeah, no, exactly. is you're a very yeah. rational thinker. And that's what I think more people could do with that viewpoint rather than associating with the group that believes in this. And like, this is exactly it. Like, it would be easy for us to say, just go right behind the Jordan Peterson sort of thing of like that whole spiel. But what you don't, you mentioned, Car- you called Karl Marx and mentioned that you like Jordan Peterson in the same conversation, <laughs> which is fairly yeah. telling. Like, <laughs> But look, like it's, you can take bits, you know, you can take, sure. and, and all you can do is take these information and apply it to your own life and go, do, yeah. does that correspond to my experience and yeah. my life? Or can I see how that would be relevant to X, Y, or Z? And if you just try to kind of look at things through those lenses and um, not going, well, I'm a feminist and I see a lot of feminists don't like Jordan Peterson, so yeah. I don't like George, Jordan Peterson. Well, where's my critical thinking in that whole dynamic there? I have okay. to think critically for myself and see, do I experience this to be true? Yeah. Jordan Peterson doesn't like vanilla ice cream. So I like <laughs> vanilla ice cream. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like follow blindly, follow blindly. Like everybody's going to have their, you know, there's bits that you'll like of them. They might say things you don't like. Doesn't mean I'm suddenly going to not get behind Jordan Peterson. I, yeah. I do think, and you know, he, he is opening up a whole conversation to a cohort of men to get them thinking just thinking like you know and yeah. hopefully there might be a female Jordan Peterson like to get you I think just all young people to get thinking critically for themselves will you know save the next generation to not become just absolute dupes to whatever the phone tells them yeah exactly. like if that's your source of information whatever your social media thread tells you that's dangerous that's a dangerous headspace to be in yeah are you under time pressure, D, or do you have time for maybe two or three more questions? No, you're yeah, both? no, no, go for it. Yeah, thanks a minute. Yeah, yeah. So, like you mentioned there, just about how young men, um, or yeah, how you know, but you mentioned that you um, might not know what it is to be like a young man, but a young man, but you have studied young men intently for your, um, especially when <laughs> you're studying with Foco, and you know, so I don't think that is that there is kind of um overlooking that but what i'm what i'm trying to get at is when you looked at masculinity for that article on rt brainstorm you were looking at how there are traits that we associate with with masculinity that are positive be it strength bravery respect and discipline what i was 
trying to look at like, like obviously I probably have an idea but but what, if these attributes are kind of linked to men where do women fit into this outlook like what what do we what should we associate with the feminine side or what what do you think is an idea of a strong woman well list those traits again that you said what you said strength bravery respect and discipline mm, i know loads of strong brave women do you know so yeah. like i think we've genderized these terms to too far um okay. to 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 a stereotype yeah but and for some reason it seems more acceptable for a woman to take on those traditional i'm doing inverted commas like masculine traits but it seems unacceptable to an extent for men to portray fe what might be perceived as feminine traits which might be empathy which yeah. might be caring kindness I mean, what man doesn't want to be that? And yet, why is it feminized? Or what, what man, you know, what functioning person in society wouldn't want to have empathy and yeah. kindness? Yeah. Um, uh, maybe like, the, the, and the care one is huge. The care trait is very problematic because this is why women have been left with the burden of emotional, the emotional load, because care has been outsourced to women yeah. Yeah. historically yeah. Um, and yet women so say historically if we go back to the 1950s 1960s and you, the traditional household women cared for the children women cared for their relatives women cared for their extended family they did the care work okay maybe that model worked like uh, to the point where we had legislation that the woman could not work if she was married because the assumption was she was going to take on that role as the carer yeah. fast forward 50 years we don't live in that society anymore it, it's not even sustainable even if you wanted to you can barely keep a roof over your head without two people going out and two incomes coming in and um, so what's and unfortunately women are stuck with the hangover of that care role that they're still and because they've seen it they've probably seen their own parent their own mother you know, doing a lot of the domestic work, uh, kind of the household work, the caring work. And the caring work is, it's huge. Like if you think about it, like just what might seem small, but they're time consuming of, of who's going to, into, into um, who's going to do like the child or the interact with the school. Who's going to manage the child when they go to school? Who's going to have the relationship with the teacher? Who's going to have to like, make sure the homework's done? And very often, a lot of that is put onto the female, but she's also working a full working day as well. So the statistics say women work an extra 20 hours a week than their male counterpart in, the, in caring functions. Um, and it's almost like, but women are good at that. If I had somebody that I could hand that over to and tell them they were good at, I'd, I'd give it to them, you know, like uh, I, I wasn't born with, you know, I wasn't born with it. Obviously I have a, a, a human humanity. I wouldn't let a child starve or, you know, but men could learn that too. Yeah. Like imagine a, a dystopian world or, you know, we can imagine anything now because we've lived through this pandemic, but can you imagine if women tomorrow all were struck by only women struck by some disease and killed, you know, died. And it was just men left in the world. Okay, so imagine it was just men, men. And there's, there's still babies and children that need to be cared for. Are the men going to stand back and go, don't know how to do this? 
I don't, I can't, we're not good at this and let the child die. A lot of, how do you do this, Joe? Uh, More calls to Joe Duffy, I can imagine, you know. (laughs) (laughs) No, you can find a better role model, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I have full faith that men would regroup and work out a way to raise those children in a caring way, care for them. Um, But if I didn't, like, if, if you didn't have to, or if you kind of, like, can outsource it to somebody else being very often the female in your relationship if you are in a heterosexual relationship so i suppose and i am conscious i am kind of just imagining the heterosexual relationship with the family that's kind of because that's where i suppose that i can relate to it and it's but it is a huge problem in society for our society in ireland that we haven't invested in care and child care and because we haven't we've kind of we think we don't know who who's looking after the kids so who is the, we've got extortionate childcare, um, but so there's a lot of kind of um, we 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 need to fix that. Okay, so we need to fix um, and respect care work, um, and I think again the pandemic has highlighted that that you know <laughs> all our brands and consumption goes out the window if we're more sick. What do we need? We need care. We need nurses. We need we, we need food. We, you know, we go back to basics of what is actually important to us. Um, and care has come out as a huge factor that, you know, nobody wants to see somebody left sick in this, in this pandemic without having like, care and support. Yeah. So is that a feminine thing? It shouldn't be. Or why would it be? Like, it's a, it's a human thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that, encap- that captures what you've been um, explaining, you know, the idea that... Um, they're within the human being um actually i'm reminded actually of jordan peterson's new book that's out next month he i think one of his chapters is entitled um if you're married to a woman don't make her the maid of the house and i think that ties into what you're getting at there like don't offload it just to the woman i'd say uh, my only gripe with that you need to rephrase that if don't make her he's assuming there is a patriarchal structure in the in the relationship to begin with don't make her the maid Perhaps um, but anyway, I could just... be misquoting completely. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, no, yeah. But it's true. Like, you know, why, how are you going to have a really healthy, happy, cool relationship if one person is overburdened mm. and resentful? Like yeah. it's, it doesn't, it's not conducive to have a, a really interesting life together. Mm. It, you know, it might be easy to dodge a bullet and go, oh, I won't get involved in that. I'll keep my head down. I'll just work late. I won't, you know, that's messy over there. Kids are messy, you know. And again, I know I'm making the relationship, the 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 idea of a family, but not every every situation people end up with, with family. But it, it it that's when you really need to think about it. it. Is when kids, when somebody, a little being, comes into the world that you need to keep alive. Mm. Uh, and it, it's much healthier if two people take that responsibility of keeping that little being alive as opposed to offloading on one because it's huge because you know how do you live yourself you know you it's such a responsibility to keep this tiny little being that everything you've got all your hopes dreams everything like this child is the next generation and you have to like it i found it completely overwhelming the burden of not the burden but the responsibility of this is my job now but like it's so much easier when two people help out to 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 get bring this little being up and give them a healthier perspective like of of life and show them 
that there's other ways of being a father, uh, you know, than the old traditional model of fatherhood. I think we are getting better at though, generally, aren't people? Like mm. fathers are definitely more involved, more caring and more open in their communication with their children, I think, than previous generations would have been. Yeah, which is super fantastic and better for, I would imagine, men's communication and interrelationship mm. skills, Yeah, I, I would say, and for their relationships as well. Um, because like nothing worthwhile is easy. And I always think about that with kids kids are the hardest thing you'll ever do like raising a child but it's also the most rewarding so it's, it comes back to that anything you get easy like you know you can consume something you don't you don't cherish it you don't value it but what you put hard work into you get back like yeah. in droves yeah it does seem to change people doesn't it and i think everyone who has a child that i know has said that it has changed them for the better like their life has took on a whole new meaning since they have this little thing and like mm. it, changes who you are changes the way you see the world apparently not i haven't had one yet you haven't gone down that road no like it's true and look i, I think what's dangerous when people get a bit fluffy about it mm. you know some people go oh, it's wonderful it's everything it's hard work yeah are you up for like are you up for hard work because yeah. that's what kids are and I think at the root of that hard work, you, Dan, what you've said earlier, your focus is emotional building into emotional intelligence and self-awareness. So what, uh, maybe they're not totally connected. Maybe I'm only just gluing those together for the sake of it. But what I'm trying to, there, there are two key um, attributes that you are um, keen on. I suppose that that's one, the outlook of your podcast. So what, what simple ways do you try to... Um, expand self-awareness like what, what do you think people can do to improve self-awareness mm, good um on a day-to-day -day level well for, for me um i think i've learning so upskilling training so i came across a very good friend of mine introduced me to choice theory psychology um and i've i'm into my second year now of studying it and a lot of the it, it's very practical because it's a training course um, and you you do you learn by doing so by writing by observing by kind of going through the process and that helps with and, and, and something I really am an advocate for journaling and writing down what's happening as you experience it um, because it gives you time to reflect on an event that's happened and it can be the most mundane event ever. And then suddenly you go in, like, as you start writing, you go into depths of um, thinking connections and, and understanding at a better level. So you come to understand yourself of like, and particularly then if you look back over a few weeks and you go, oh, I had this exact same conversation or I had this exact same row or I had this exact same dynamic before and I haven't learned from it here i am again so it helps you to build that self-awareness by writing things down and because we we're terrible we like we don't recognize our patterns but we're playing our patterns continuously without trying to adjust them so if we don't adjust our patterns and our behaviors nothing's going to change so i think through studying choice theory and having that opportunity to um to just stop and think reflect and I do a lot of this with the students. I've introduced a lot of, of encouraging them to reflect. Look, it's, it's not as much fun when it's 
in, in an academic sense. So, but I would love if they were to carry it on in terms of that reflective writing and journaling. You know, the likes of Pat, Pat Dibley does great uh, courses on that. So like if anybody even just went on and did like a month's training course with Pat in terms of just getting that um, habit of writing, that builds self-awareness, like to, to, to stop it. Like, and these things don't cost that much to invest in yourself to be to to understand yourself a bit so as you come to understand yourself a bit more you become more self-aware and that self-awareness it's kind of um i when we talk about emotional intelligence you know in the when the plane is going down it tells you to put your air mask on first before you you put on the child and at first your instincts like oh no you have to protect the child but you're no use to anyone unless you've done the work on yourself first and then you can be a better person, whether it's in a relationship or a parent or a leader or a, an educator or whatever, you, you'll be better once you've done the work on yourself first. Mm. That's been my experience. And that's like, I found that to be true. So yeah, yeah that's kind of for building self-awareness. That would be one to kind of work on even just yeah. that writing, something we can all just do today. Yeah. Pen and paper. Brilliant. Um, Dee, we have this thing on Paper Tuesdays. It's called Flash Flood. Um, I don't know. You might have a thesis in examining this gentleman. Um, let's have a look and see what Flash Flood has to say. Right, fellas, the time has come. I think we need to get a smart person, a real techie internet person in with us, right? Uh, Robbie, you might be the man, maybe. But um, we're going to create a social network where you can't say bad things about people and if you have an opinion you have to back it up with facts you like you see poor james mclean and tony marshall and marcus rashford getting abused racially abused one man abused for taking a stand which i think he's dead right to take and the whole poppy argument that's another um podcast on its own but we're going to make a, a social network for smart people it's going to be online you can't uh, if you say something you need to have hard evidence to back it up so if i say michael you're a bollocks i'm going to be able to stand up and say you're a bollocks because x y and z and we and we need more of that and that and that's not an insult that's just a fact of life smart book i think that smart could take book. off <laughs> <laughs> so no Sorry? That's just something you add. I don't need to comment on that, do I? Oh, well, if you have comments <laughs> on Flash Flood, sometimes we're just bowled over and we, we just lie like deluge in a river and listen to that. But uh, <laughs> you'd like to sign up for a smart book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I liked what they said. They need to back things up with fact. I'd agree with who, yeah. whoever that is there. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's uh, Flash Flood, that's James. So sometimes he picks, last week it was me because I used the word oatmeal instead of porridge, but other times it's Dubliners. He just has a thing for dub. Sorry, D. And uh, sometimes any nationality, really. So it affects our international audience, but look, we're, we're, we're keeping a straight face and we're doing our best. Um, D, I have loved this conversation. I knew I was going to love it and you took us everywhere. And I know, uh, sorry, of course, I knew there was one thing I wanted to do. So for the last 48 hours, folks, on Paper Tuesdays, I have uh, binged on eight episodes of uh, Journeying and I can highly recommend the podcast. It is incredible. We've packed Divley, you've Trees of Fitzgibbon, you've, um, your man, Ennis, he was excellent. Thomas, Thomas find, Ennis, yeah. 
Thomas Ennis, you will find something new. And Jerry Nelson, the documenter. This podcast, folks, it's uh, you've only started it a few months ago, Dee. Mm. You're on to a winner. It's just fantastic. I highly recommend <laughs> Thank it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate I, I, that. You've enjoyed great. the podcast experience, I take it, Dee, yeah. As yeah, in, uh, paper choose. I mean, I, I meant journeying. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no. The whole it is. It's 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 cool. It's cool medium, and particularly when you're somebody who likes research and and yes. learning new things. Like it's just cool to actually get to chat to people and go deep diving into stuff that you're interested in. Yeah, to be honest, after to listening to the podcast, I didn't expect you to be such a, a talkative person <laughs> because you, you <laughs> take a back seat in the interview and you let you tie in, you, even with Jared Redmond, you were very good at just showing him his strengths and guiding him along. It was a beautiful um, podcast. So like um, that, that's a, a strength, I suppose. <laughs> learning when to shut up and when to speak. Yeah, well, I yeah. definitely need to learn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I take that on board and thank you very much. 